Hi, I'm Mystic, aka Cynthia, the Gabby and Spontaneous F-bomb-dropping Virgo who likes to sort socks. And I'm Mind Power, Michelle, the highly inquisitive, science-loving hypnotherapist who reads and walks a whole lot. You're You're listening to Mind Power Meets Mystic. We are wildly curious, and we want to talk about how spirit meets business, how self-expansion meets love, and how relationships meet life's true purpose. Because it's our belief that there are invisible cosmic forces tying things together. My passion is for the powers of the mind, human nature, and the development of inner strength. I help people transform by investigating their subconscious and reframing or rewriting their internal thinking. My get-off is helping people discover their cosmic irony, where their biggest fear is actually their greatest strength. By uncovering these things, they can revolutionize what they do and how they do it. We want to share how people grow and become bigger, more integrated, more fulfilled, more passionate and inspired in their life's journey. Listen in as we explore transformations, shifts, and finding the ahas while making space for serendipity, the unknown, and magic. Follow us and expand your sense of what's possible. And have fun along the way. Dive in and see how Mind Power meets Mystic. Welcome! You are now listening to our renamed podcast, Mind Power, that's me, meets Mystic. That's Cynthia over here. We are here today speaking with Deborah Cat. Deborah Cat lives a turned on life as a pleasure CEO. She was incredibly fortunate to have been born and raised in San Francisco, surrounded by the beautiful California coastline and the alternative culture. As a founder of Deborah Cat Coaching, she leads monthly classes exploring the edges of sexuality and spirit. She combines her diverse background in Tantra, massage, and BDSM to support men and couples in clearing shame and to have satisfying relationships and better sex. She is also the host of the new podcast, The Better Sex Podcast, and The Better Sex for Couples Summit. Welcome, Deborah. Hello there, and thank you so much for inviting me to join you today. Such an honor. We're so excited to have you. So Michelle and I, when we were talking about inviting you to the show, we had a a very simple question, which is, Do you call your work a practice, a service, a craft, an art? What do you call it? Yeah, I call it a practice. And I call it a practice because anything that you want to get good at, you need to put attention and intention on. And you need to repeat over and over and over again. And I know that every day is different. Even if it's the same client, even if it's the same requests, uh, I'm different, my client is different. um, And so that combination creates something new and exciting every time. And um, I think using practice gives it a, well, at least for me, it's like there's, there's a permission there to explore. There's a permission there not to be perfect. Um, It's a recovering control freak. Um, perfection is in my experience, perfection kind of is, is another form of scarcity. It's like, it limits us from, from playing and from exploring and from expansion. 
Wow. I love that. I may have to change my Michelle from art to practice. <laughs> we started talking about it and, and we're like, well, yoga is a practice, but Cynthia asked me and I said, well, I think of hypnosis and executive coaching as services. And mm-hmm. so, you know, just, and then Cynthia's like, what I do is an art. And I was like, Ooh, I might want to be an art. Art sounds really good. But your answer about this being a practice makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense to me. And I think it's a very, uh, I don't know, sort of holistic and real way of, of looking at life. Right. Yeah. Well, I, um, so during the pandemic, my partner and I started joining his, so he's an Aikidoist for a million years and um, we started doing an online practice um, with his sensei. And she really has inspired this idea of, of practice and coming back again and again and again and coming back with this new, um, you know, new eyes. And, and so I, I really have to say that, that it, it, is an, it is an inspired uh it's an inspired point of view. <laughs> well, here's a funny thing. I was just going to say, when you talked about practice, I also do martial arts. And the the, the quote that a lot of times we hear is, um, don't fear the man who knows a million kicks. Fear the man who practices a, one kick a million times. Oh, right? yes. So, right. In, in Aikido, it's... Um, uh, fall down seven times, get up eight. Love that one. Love that one too. So way to go, my fellow martial artists. Super exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, so tell us how you got to this space because you have your dominatrix, you do BDSM, you um, support men and couples, and then you have this a lovely tantric dating service. So can you tell us, I did this. I said, chicken, egg, chicken, egg, what came first? So. Yeah, well, so I was super lucky. Like I said in my intro, it's I grew up in San Francisco. I grew up, um, you know, my parents were hippies and um, they were very experimental. And like <clears throat> my best friend's mother was the manager of um, a place called The Stud and another uh, place called Hamburger Mary's. And so I grew up in this really alternative. I, I mean, my reality was that my, my you know, uh, her, I used to go over to my bestie's house. Um, you know, we were like seven and her nanny was a drag queen. And so like, you know, I, I this was what I grew up with. This is what I knew. And then when I started becoming, you know, sexual and had relationships, I met my partners at the Renaissance Fair. I should say partner, Um, (laughs) you know, my boyfriend. uh, And so we had this like incredible fantasy life of like, you know, during the day we'd be playing, you know, we'd have costumes and, and props and, and, you know, roles. And that just sort of ended up in our, in our sex life. And then, um, so all of these things were possible. Like it was possible to be um, you know, a washerwoman, as well as a queen, as well as, um, you know, everything in between. And so, you know, I had this, 
this was my experience. And then when I got to college and stopped dating guys from the Renaissance Fair, it was like, you know, I, I was a little shocked because it was sort of like I had become, I, I was so far out of the box. I didn't know I was out of a box. Like I didn't know there was a box to be out of. And so, you know, fortunately all these things were, were kind of ingrained in me. And then I started learning they had names. It's like, oh, spirituality and sexuality, um, you know, it, it's a part of Tantra. And I just want to say that, like, if that's all we think, if if all we get out of Tantra is the sexual part of it, we're really missing so much. And, you know, the same side with with uh, with kink and BDSM, if all we see is the place where, um, you know, it it's the physical experience of one person doing to another, um, we're really missing a lot. And so I've been really fortunate to to get to have this view of seeing just the possibility of what happens when we connect our spirituality to something bigger, um, or excuse me, our bodies and our sexuality to something bigger. And what happens when we use the body and all of these different uh, physical experiences and sensual experiences into creating relationship and into creating you know having sexual experience um and so then you know that's kind of where i that that was my starting point <laughs> that sounds fantastic and i have to wonder if i was one of the visitors at the renaissance fair when you were there playing your various parts it's a <laughs> event i have always loved since i was a young person as well i remember very well being so excited to play the game where you could like shoot this sponge in a in a big rubber band and if you hit one of the men you got to kiss him I was like <gasps> the oh. kissing booth. yeah the kissing booth that was probably like my favorite part of the renaissance fair when I was you know 15 16 <laughs> well and it's a really interesting place to learn about sexuality right because there you know there's there's it's fairly you know there's a lot of boobage and a lot of cleavage and there's, you know, all sorts of different kinds of bodies, you know, from fuller bodied people to, you know, not so full. Um, men are, for the most part, you know, coming forward with a very courtly manner. Yes. Um, the way that men and women interacted, um, you know, had a very formalized uh, way of interacting and it's it was just a very interesting thing and then you know you had the power dynamic of you know sex and class and so it's just a very interesting place to spend a lot of time as a young person um so I just have to ask were you at Black Point Forest or yes oh yes. <laughs> yes. way back quite some time ago but mm -hmm. um uh, and I've been to the Renaissance Fair since then, but it doesn't have the charm of the Black Point Forest uh, location. Yeah. That was a that was a very special place, a very special time. Absolutely. I'm so sad. <laughs> you didn't make it, Cynthia? I didn't get to go until I was in my 30s, early 30s. So it wasn't that long ago. And that's, I think it was the first or second year they had moved. Mm. So... I missed all the magic. They've moved a couple times. Okay. My <laughs> and, kids, yeah. 
And, you know, I have to say there's still, there's definitely magic, you know, it's just a little bit different of a flavor. And, um, you know, I just, it's so, there's, there's something about that space where sensuality is, is held in a, an honoring way, right? Like, like cleavage is is a beautiful thing, and you know jokes about about uh, body jokes are are acceptable and part of the game. And so, I you know I hadn't really thought about how much those pieces you know really affected me and and allowed for that opening there. Well, I think you're also talking about play. You mm. know, the Renaissance Fair was really very much a place of play. And I, I suspect that also is part of what opened you up and part of what I saw, um, because uh, to let our listeners know, I met Deborah at a Tantra speed dating event that she ran in December. And at this event, uh, Deborah did a fantastic job of introducing men and women in very short moments with all kinds of unique and different activities where you might get a great sense of who this other person was, or you might get just a glimpse of who this other person was. But it was a really fun and interesting way of connecting with, I don't know, 20 or 30 other people Mm -hmm. in a couple of hours. And you know, I think especially after the pandemic, when we've all been so um, alone and and taught to be somewhere between cautious and afraid of each other, because who knows who's <laughs> sick kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, the, the speed dating event was just, was just fantastic. I thought it was great and I would recommend it to pretty much anybody who wants to get back out there and try something new. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I I feel really honored to get to hold that space for people. And um y- you know, you got the the new and improved version cuz the first time I ran that event <laughs> it was it was not quite what it is today. Um you know, it was really an opportunity for me to be able to learn how to hold um, space for a large group of people. Um, and really, you know, on a very personal level, uh, Tantra Speed Date really changed my relationship. I've been with my partner for 24 years now. And, um, you know, when you're in a long-term relationship, there are times, if you're honest, where you're tolerating it, or it's not everything you would like it to be. And I was really at one of those points um, with my partner and I hadn't even noticed it. Like it had been, we'd been in that cycle for so long that we were just kind of tolerating. And when I started doing teaching or leading Tantra Speed Date, you know, I would get all juiced up because, um, you know, really one of the secrets, I'm telling a secret here. One of the secrets of Tantra Speed Date is that when we get, when we light ourselves up, right? It's infectious. Like when we allow ourselves to be turned on, to to feel good, to feel in our bodies, you know, what happens is, you know, I turn on, I give you permission to turn on, you give everybody else around you permission to turn on. And we end up in this 
place where there's a lot of, you know, really just high vibe turned on people. And when I say turned on, I don't mean just sexually. I mean, like the light goes on, right? And and so I was getting to 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 have that experience, to have, you know, to be affected and impacted by all these turned on people. And then I would take it home and, you know, I would, I would see my partner uh, in his highest and best. And, you know, he really responded to that. And so again, we have this kind of, uh, this, this cyclical connection where it's like, I'm giving him the approval. He gives me the approval. I give him more approval. And the next thing you know, there's approval all over the place. Um, but yeah, so so thank you so much for, for I'm so glad you came and I'm so glad we're here. And, and I just get to share this really yummy, juicy work. And, you know, I, I really want to say that, yes, it is a speed date experience, but we meet people wherever they're at. Right. And and like you said, sometimes people are showing up because they haven't been in, in public in a while. Sometimes they're showing up because, you know, they're just um, they're looking for connection. They're they're trying something new. Um, some people are looking for their love of their life. And, you know, certainly we've we've had people find the love of their lives. We've had, you know, uh people who have, you know, found each other and created families and babies and, and businesses and, and farms and just all sorts of great stuff. And so I'm so honored um, to be a part of that. I love that too. I just want to remind everybody that they are hanging out with us, Michelle Walters and me, Cynthia Varkavisser at Mind Power Meets Mystic. And that today we're here with the incredibly lovely Deborah Cat. So Deborah, I would love to talk to you a little bit more about your other work, your dominatrix work, your BDSM work. Um, the reason I'm so interested is when I first heard about dominatrix work and BDSM work was about 20 years ago, and it was very hush hush mm-hmm. and whisper, whisper, and mm-hmm. behind literally behind um, a locked gate and or closed doors and it took a lot of time for me to meet people and talk with them before they would open up because I was so curious to to find out about um, BDSM and why people you know why people were so attracted to it and now it's it's much more widely accepted my cousin just came up to me she's uh 30 34 years old I think and she says oh I just did this webinar with this dominatrix and she's talking about empowerment and all the people of my generation are like, oh, and I was like, let's talk about this. We're going to be interviewing, you know, another dominatrix. I would love to know more. So can you tell us a little bit more about the evolution of, of this work and how are you seeing it become more mainstream? If mainstream is the word. Yeah, no, I I do think it's mainstream. Um, Honestly, I have kind of a mixed, mixed bag emotion with that. Um, when I started, it was very hush hush. It was, you know, that's it was very taboo. Um, and, you know, the upside of that was that you had to know somebody and that you generally got some form of mentoring. Um, oftentimes we would find each other in the back of uh, the the um, 
oh, back page. I'm like, what? What was the name of that? And the, you know, back page in the back of the magazine. And it would be kind of a cryptic little note about like uh, something. Um, and then and then we would meet. And the upside of this would be that like there was mentorship. There was connection. There was, you know, it was a very small community. If somebody new came in, it was like you could, you know, there was generally somebody that would kind of like advise them on who and how and what and where. And I was really lucky. I got a I got a very old school uh, education, meaning that I had a mentor. Um, I was a, a sub for a while until I kind of learned, you know, what it was like. Um, and then I was like, okay, I, I, I'm ready to be a top now. I'm ready to, to jump into being a dom. And, and I had a very, I was lucky. I, I ended up, my mentor was, was very, uh, he was military and he was very specific. And it's like, I would get one toy and I would practice it over and over and over again. And I would show him what I'd practiced and then he would, you know, find somebody who wanted to play. And then I got to play on a, on a person and, and I'm really, you know, I really feel lucky to have had that experience. Um, and on the other side, I really, I, it's such, I feel like kink and BDSM can be so healing and so empowering um, that, you know, I am glad that it is more out in the world and that there are other, you know, that there, that teachers are, are more willing to stand up and say, you know, I've, I've got some wisdom for you. Um, and I think that there's a lot, there's a lot of power in, there's a lot of power in surrender. There's also a lot of power in learning how to hold and create a container. And what I mean by that is that, so the container or the, is, is what, is, is all of the negotiation. One of the beautiful things about BDSM um, that I think is coming mainstream is learning how to negotiate. And I mean, when two people come together to have a scene, there's a couple things that they talk about. Who wants to play what role? What implements, what, what are we gonna do? <laughs> what are our boundaries, you know, and then, you know, what are, I mean, the biggest question I always ask, no matter what kind of work I'm doing is when we're all said and done and you're walking out the door, how do you want to feel? Right. Because it's really, um, it informs how I'm going to interact with you if I know what the end result is, um, you know, and, and if I know what your limitations are, uh, then then I can, then we can play there. Um, and also, you know, there's a, there's a way. So one of the things that that's often taught in, in BDSM classes, it's usually one of the first things that people talk about is safe words. And um, so what a safe word is, is they're, they're very shorthand communication. And so for instance, like when I, when I play with someone, when I negotiate, I use two safe words. Uh, one is mercy. Oh, I should say the reason that you want the safe words is because you want a way to communicate with somebody that is clear and you you know exactly what that means. Because sometimes somebody wants to be able to say no and not have that respected, right? 
to be clear, that's that's consensual part of the scene, right? For whatever reason, like begging turns them on or pleading turns them on or all of these things turn them on. And so you want to use words that like fit into the scene and then are very clear that it's time to end the scene. So for instance, I use the word mercy when I want somebody to let me know that, well, this is good, but this is really at my end. I don't want you to stop, but I don't want you to go any further. Like, you know, so I, so they use the word mercy and I hear mercy and I can be like, oh, okay. So I need to slow down. I need to back off. I need to check in. And then I use the word red as something is really wrong and we need to stop in this moment. And so what that can look like is I'll stop what I'm doing. Let's say I've got them restrained or whatever. I'll reposition them in a more, you know, holding situation. And then we'll stay there until, until we know what to do next. Sometimes that could be continuing. Sometimes that could be, you know, just that's the end. Um, and then I always want to have a, a way to reconnect. Um, so it's like part of the conversation of negotiation is that should something happen and this doesn't go the way that we intend it to, we commit to having a repair conversation. Now, this is really important to me. Not everybody does this, but it's just part of the conversation. Um, but as long as I'm talking about the different stages of, of a scene, I'll just, so you start with negotiation and it usually is about who's doing what, what's going to happen, how long it's going to happen for, and then how are you going to end things, right? So um, aftercare is very important. And aftercare means that we've come to the end of, of the agreed scene, but then we need to kind of come back into our, put ourselves back in our boxes, if it will. You know, it's like back in the can, as one of my teachers likes to say. And so how do we do that? And there's different ways to do that. Some is like, it may be holding. Some at times it may be conversation. Sometimes it may be food, um, you know, drink, what whatever that is. The other thing I just want to say is that, um, I think it's really important in this kind of play to do it with a with a clear mind. Um, you know, I I have definitely played with people who are um, they want to be like gotten drunk or uh, you know gotten being drugged, um, and and we've we've played with that, but it's always been like very well held and negotiated. But I wouldn't necessarily. Um, I would think twice about playing with somebody who just out of the blue shows up and, um, you know, is intoxicated. That's really interesting. It's really interesting. And I think it's really, um, I'm not sure quite how to say it, but to think about sort of how you're creating what your word was a container, right? So it's kind of like an opportunity to live life outside of your regular life. And we all have such busy lives and we all live such frazzled existences. I can see how having an opportunity to do something like that, something completely out of the norm would be really helpful for people. Yeah. And I, I think that um, 
setting, having parameters and having boundaries allows for freedom. I know this sounds counterintuitive, but I believe that I can find more freedom in a, you know, three by three space than I can if there's no containment. And for me, it's like what happens is that it just becomes more and more potent. And if there's no boundaries, I just sort of dissipate, if that makes any sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. I was um, the first person that actually opened up to me about BDSM spoke very lovingly about their person, their top, because what they said is it gave them a space. Surrender is the beautiful word. And what they said is that they actually found relief that they and that they could stay present in body. And they worked out a lot of trust issues this way because they weren't always in their head and second guessing. And, and, you know, they're very much into, you know, um, intellectual in their head anyway. So it was really nice and grounding for them to have that, to have that time and was very, very grateful. And yeah. oh, was, no, no, was, that's fine. What I was just say? talking to, so uh, one of the things I practice is something called bondage, and it is bondage, massage, and sensory deprivation. And sensory deprivation is like you put on headphones so that your your sound your your hearing is controlled, and you've got a blindfold so there's you know so you're essentially you're out of your head. And um, so my my friend and mentor Jaylene and I were just talking about bondage. Um, and just, we were talking about that. We were talking about like how this practice, especially with couples can help them to establish trust. It can help them to expand their, you know, what they know about each other. Um, because what we say about ourselves and what our bodies do can sometimes be different things. And when you learn how to pay attention to your partner's body, and when you learn how to notice the subtle difference between like their toes curling or their breath changing, or all of a sudden, you know, they were wiggling around and all of a sudden there's like the deep breath and that release into surrender. And, you know, it, it's just exquisite. And to, you know, either side of that, like I, I, I am really fortunate. Like I am very comfortable being in charge and I am really comfortable with the right person surrendering and having that experience of being able to feel the, feel my body in those different experiences and, um, being able to trust somebody and being able to allow to allow myself the luxury of giving up control is you know exquisite just exquisite so now I just want to put it all together because <laughs> I'm all about spirituality and mm -hmm. there's so much spirituality in what you're talking about you know the cyclical way of how you're working with people right? That you start with negotiations and you end with a, a, a really lovely closure so that they, there's a complete experience, that there's integrity in all that you do. So I would love to know how, how does spirit play in your work? Because I know it does personally, as well as for others. 
And then I have one more that is completely opposite of that, which is how in the hell did you go from Aikido, Tantric, uh, Tantra, DDSM, and then dating, the dating service? Yeah. So um, first of all, you know, I... I feel like my so my spirituality is very much create uh, connected to nature, and it's very much connected to the seasons and you know noticing that like you know nature's a continuum, right? There there is no there's no separation, right? There's like you know you've got the things that are composting. And you've got the things that are growing and those two ends need each other. And I really feel like, you know, at some point, um, at some point I just realized that there was, that I was connected to everything and everybody. And that's really what I consider to be my spirituality is it's like, what is my connection? Who am I connected to? Where am I connected? And and what is my impact? And how am I being impacted? Right? And I think, you know, going back to BDSM for just a moment, um, when we do something to another body, right, whether it's touching it, whether it's spanking it, whether it's scratching it, whether it's pinching it, we are having an impact. And what happens is that that experience, like that, that experience, the person takes that experience in and then they, there's a circuit that goes out. Like there's a wave, there's a way in which I impact them and they impact me. And, um, you know, it's really funny because I wouldn't necessarily consider myself to be a spiritual being. Um, but as I'm talking, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I am kind of spiritual. Um, <laughs> You know, and and I I've 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 really kind of um, you know I I think for a while I was just sort of going through the motions of spirituality, and then I started realizing, oh, it's everything, it's everywhere, um, and you know, with BDSM, one of the things I want to say is that if you are whether you are on the the top or the dominant side of things or whether you are the submissive or on the bottom side of things, not only are you impacting each other, but there's a way in which you, I believe that, you know, when I surrender, I'm surrendering to the person in front of me, but I'm also surrendering to something bigger, right? Because a lot of times what I'm coming up against is but is is some version of my own patterning right and you know to move forward um in the you know in the world like my we're not in these bodies for that long right and so my intention is to like experience everything that's possible in this body and so allowing for that expansion whether it be in what i perceive to be possible or what I feel to be possible like there has to be something where I allow something bigger to take control um and you know so yeah <laughs> that uh I'm not sure if I answered the question but there you go I think you did a great job answering the connection uh and it's funny because as you know our show used to be called it's all connected and it sounds like that's kind of 
at the core, a lot of where you're at. So speaking of connections, Deborah, we're going to wrap up our show. How can our listeners get in touch with you and what do you have coming up that they should know about? Oh my God. Thank you for asking. So coming up, I have the Better Sex for Couples Summit. This is a free three-day event. I've got about 12 different experts. We're We're having these amazing discussions about all sorts of different things around uh, sex and communication, sex and empowerment, sex and pleasure. And you can find out about that at bettersexforcouplessummit.com. And um, you can get a hold of me personally at debracat.com. And it's uh, D-E-B-O-R-A-H and it's K-A-T.com. And other than that, I've got... Um, more Tantra speed date. And um, I think that's, I think those are the, that's the highlight, but I'm super excited about the, um, about the summit. It's, you know, it's so like the information that we get about sex and relationships sucks. Like it just does. And I'm so happy to be able to bring people together um, to, you know, to, to really expand what's possible there. So. Love it. Thank you so much for being on Mind Power Meets Mystic. Ah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, this has been a really lovely conversation and I really appreciate the questions and um yeah, so it felt it feels really good to be here with both of you. You've been listening to Mind Power Meets Mystic. Mystic.